0: I sometimes, uh, I sometimes struggle with gratitude. This is I mean, it's Thanksgiving time. It's the time we, and I, I missed it. I, I miss it every year. But last week, if you were here, we had the, um, the Thanksgiving praise service where the congregation comes and, and people just grab the mic and just say how God's been good and what they're grateful for, the way that uh, God has worked uh, in their lives. And it's really, it's, it's beautiful. Um, it's a beautiful service. And it's important because it's become more and more countercultural as Orange County has become less and less grateful. It's become home to fewer and fewer people who have gratitude in their hearts. It's become home to fewer and fewer people who really, really do are actually living lives of thankfulness. And, and I, I, I'm, sure that, I'm sure that that's the case. I have been here a long time, and I, and I do remember uh, a time in life when it wasn't always keeping up with the Joneses, and it wasn't always um, that person's got it, and I don't. This uh, hasn't gone wrong for me, and so my life, my life is ruined. Uh, and so because I um, often feel that way, I turned uh, to the source of all truth, uh, that can tell us how to, to to get gratitude back in our lives. And so I Googled it. And I figured out, I, I found a couple of articles on how to become a more grateful person. I uh, love some of these suggestions. This, by the way, uh, this is not just the Internet. It is the Internet. But it, I, I, went, I went ahead and found stuff that uh, that, that, you know, PhDs, who are uh, professionals at gratitude and psychology, have come up with, and this is a few of their things. They say you need to keep a gratitude journal. Uh, there's been some uh, studies uh, at uh, University of California, Riverside, suggesting that if you write down every night all the things that you're grateful for, you'll become a more grateful person. Uh, you're supposed to use the right words. Uh, a single word has the power to influence the expression of genes that regulate physical and emotional stress. Wow! That's uh, from the book, Words Can Change Your Brain. And apparently if you use words like uh, abundance or um, uh, fortunate or blessed and blessing, if you, if, that, if you pepper your conversation with that somehow magically, you're going to become a more grateful person, which is cool. Write thank you letters. I've always felt, this is uh, UC Davis, Robert Emmons, he says we should write thank you letters. I feel like that's a bit of a chore. And uh, the only thing that makes me feel good after writing thank you letters is that I don't have to do any more. Because uh, my wrist usually hurts at that point, and I wish I could type them. But that's what he says. Uh, my favorite of all, uh, this is um, from Berkeley. They they say that the the key to being a, gra- a grateful, thankful person is to hang with winners. Yeah, like apparently if you if you spend all of your time with people who are successful and uh, happily married and doing whatever it is that people do then then you'll start to adopt their attitudes and so uh peer pressure will cause you to be a more grateful person. Okay. Uh yeah. Well, here's the thing. So we're a Bible church and so what we Try to do is we say well okay that's what the world says that's interesting and and there might be a lot of value in it it's hard to say I wonder what does Scripture say about gratitude where does what does Scripture say where does it come from what is the source of gratitude does Scripture have a a a way of thinking through the question of how to cultivate gratitude and that's what I hope will animate uh, our discussion today as as we journey through the text the text um that I'm choosing doesn't explicitly talk about gratitude, but it's thematic. And if you're familiar with the rhythms of Scripture, if you've spent any time in the Bible, you'll hear the stuff that we get in this text over and over and over. The themes that, that are in this text are just replete throughout the Scriptures from start to finish. And I really think that the the, the logic or the idea, the theology of gratitude is buried. It's, 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 it's enmeshed in this text. And that might be surprising. This text is a little bit, um, in, in, in some places, a little bit graphic uh, in fact, if you uh, go past where we're going to stop, I'm stopping at the happy part of the text. But if you go further, you're going to see examples of the Old Testament and God talking about things like physical and sexual violence. Um, it's, it's, there's not a, it's, it's an uncomfortable text in a lot of ways um, for us to, to, to be confronted with, but it is in Scripture. And so I think it's important for us to, to hear it, especially, especially because I believe that it has the source of where gratitude comes from in our lives. So with that, uh, let me just give you a little bit of background. Israel has been naughty. Israel has uh, rebelled against God. In fact, what Israel's kind of done is they've been accusing God of saying, God, you, it could have been better for us. You, you haven't done right by us. You're supposed to be the king, and, and yet we look at our lives and things aren't right. And, and we're, we're sick and tired of being third rate, and why don't you do something about it? And so God responds to the people of Israel through the prophet Ezekiel. And um, let's begin looking at the text. God says to Ezekiel, Say, the Lord God proclaims to, I- to Jerusalem. Lord God right there, uh, it might be better to think of it as God the King. That's the language in Hebrew. It's God the King. God the King proclaims to Jerusalem, By origin and birth you are from the land of Canaan. Your father was an Amorite, your mother a Hittite. This is how you were treated on the day you were born. Your umbilical cord wasn't cut. You weren't washed clean with water or rubbed with salt. You weren't wrapped in blankets. No one took pity or cared enough to do any of these things for you. You were despised on the day of your birth and thrown out on the open field. When I happened to come by, I saw you flailing about in your blood. I said to you while you were still bloody, live. And then I helped you to flourish like a young plant in the field. You grew tall and became wonderfully endowed. That's a a Hebrew idiom, but it really does mean um, beautiful. Your breasts were firm, your hair beautifully thick. You were completely naked, um, probably symbolizing innocence here, uh, virginity. When I passed by you, I realized that you were ready for love, and so I spread my cloak over you and covered your nakedness. I made a solemn promise and entered into a covenant with you, and you became mine. This is what the Lord God says. Then I washed you with water, I rinsed off the blood, I poured oil on you, I clothed you with colorful garments, put fine sandals on you, wrapped your head in, live in linen, covered you with jewels. I adorned you with fine jewelry, put bracelets on your wrists and a necklace around your neck. I put a ring in your nose, and earrings in your ears, and a beautiful crown on your head. I made you a princess. I I adorned you with gold and silver, and your garments were made of the finest linen and brocade. You ate the finest flour, honey, and oil. You became very beautiful, fit for royalty. Among the nations, you were famous for your beauty. It was perfect because of the splendor that I had given you. This is what God the king says. Like I said, it's a graphic text, and if you go on, you will um, see more graphics text god is very uh up front with israel i was uh looking um to try and dis, you know try and give an example of what uh, jealousy looks like what 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 bitterness or or envy looks like and i found i found this picture right here you can tell that that uh that goldfish on the top left he's uh he's real upset thing i mean he's just he's like he's zeroed in it's hard to tell what he's looking at uh, but you know he's got his little uh, he's got his little kingdom there, and he has a spouse or a friend, we're not sure. But that guy on the top left, he is just really bummed, and that's because he spends all day looking across to the other side of the room where he sees this. This is called an aquascape. Are you familiar with the aquascape? It's uh, the hot new thing. Um, it used to be that you built an aquarium. Now, you gotta, if you really want to spend some money, you've got to build an aquascape. And the beauty of the aquascape is, it, is you, take, um, you take something that looks like, uh, you know, it would be like this beautiful thing in the real world, and then you submerge it. And so this one even has like a floating tree. And so these, uh, these guppies or beta, beta fish or whatever they are, they, they get to swim in and through something that is almost like a perfect uh, virgin garden um, in, in the real world, only it's all underwater. And so all day, our uh, goldfish friend is sitting there eyeballing that, and he keeps looking at it, and he's like, why not me? Why can't I have that? Why can't I be over there? Look how beautiful, and literally, literally the grass is greener over there. Like, look at that. That's the good stuff. And I am sitting here surrounded by this rocks in this dinky castle. It's half fallen over, and I don't understand why I can't be living there. I want to suggest that God is, is uh, shaking Israel up in this text, and he's shaking us up, and I hope you'll uh, journey through the text with me and see it's not just Israel, but it's us. And what God is saying is he's saying, you're missing it. I need to tell you the truth about you, and it's really going to hurt. I need to tell you the truth about who you are, and you're not going to like it. It's going to be uncomfortable. Let's uh, go back to the text and, and walk through... Listen, uh, your father was an Amorite, your mother a Hittite. If you're familiar with the Old Testament, you know that Amorites and Hittites are honestly murderers and rapists. And that's how Israel thinks of them. They participate in child sacrifice. They participate in uh, murder, ambush, and uh, sexual violence at a, at a very high rate. And they are hated, hated by the Israelites. And, and what God says is, he says, if you want to know where you come from, you want to know who you are, who you really are, you who think you deserve all of this stuff, guess what? Your parents were these people. In fact, all of their sins, all of the stuff, it's built into your culture. You're embedded in it. You, that, that's, that's your blood. That's who you are. You're not something great. You're not amazing. You're not beautiful. In fact, you're so low that not only do you have these low, outcast, evil parents, but you were so worthless that they went ahead and they decided they didn't even want you. The ancient world um, didn't really know abortion. Uh, the closest thing to abortion in the ancient world was exposing a baby child. And, and this is exactly what's happened to Israel. God says, this is who you were in the world. You were, you were so cast aside, so useless, that um, we didn't, they didn't even cut your umbilical cord off. They didn't wash you with water. Um, the blood being a, over a, a baby at that time would have been very um, taboo in Israel, and so uh, some very icky uh, in, in a spiritual sense. No one took pity or cared enough to do any of these things. You were despised on the day of your birth and thrown out on the field. What God is saying is he's saying, Israel, you were alive, yeah, but you were left for dead. You might have had a life in you, but that life was bound to be snuffed out, extinguished, destroyed. That's who you are. What's weird is if we hear this text, um, you know, post-Christ, post-cross, post-resurrection, and we are familiar with the New Testament, we might hear some of the things in the New Testament where, where Paul will say something like this, you were dead in your f- trespasses and sins. You were a walking corpse. You were a dead man or woman walking. You were corrupted and enmeshed in corruption. Your parents uh, uh, conceived you in corruption. You were born into systems of sin and corruption. You are dead. You were dead people walking. You were meant to be tossed out. There is no life in you. And yet, while you were dead in your sins and trespasses, Christ died for you. If we hear this text, we see that Israel isn't just living out um, this, this history. Israel is a paradigm, an example, a picture of every human life. Every single life that lives on this earth has lived through what Israel lived through. And so we can say, and this is the first thing in your note sheets, um, like Israel, every human being is born alive but dead. Inside is corruption, sin, and a destiny of dying alone in a ditch. The text goes on. When I passed by, I, listen to all the pronouns here, I, 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 who's doing the activity here? Whose action is this? God says, I passed by, I saw you, I said to you, I helped you, I passed, I realized, I spread, I covered, I did it all. Um, We we tend to, uh, if we're familiar with sort of Christian theology, we tend to think of God as Father. Uh, The Israelites very rarely thought of God that way. They primarily thought of him as a king. And if you were a good king, one of the things that you would do is you would kind of go around your, your kingdom in the ancient world, sort of check on things, make sure they were going well. And so the image here is that God is on a trip. God is going to go around the kingdom and he's going to look and make sure everything's in order. And as he's going by, he just so happens and he sees this this baby in a ditch and he is just overcome uh by by, by this this horrific sight. And and in a moment he he just he just says, No, this this cannot be. He sees the, the baby muling and 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 flopping in, in her blood. And he says, live. I will not tolerate your death today. I wonder if we, maybe after the cross, after the resurrection, after the New Testament, hear something of God's speaking to all of humanity in Christ, saying, I see what you are. You're dead. And I will not tolerate your death today. Just trust me. Live. Have life. And it's not just life. Look at Israel's life. I help you to flourish. It's not just, I'm going to keep you alive. Maybe the image is that the the king is passing by and he, he rescues the child and maybe takes the child to a local couple and furnishes the child with everything that she needs so that she can grow up. And, and, there's, and there's even a sense that he's superintending. This is God, of course, but helping her to grow into something beautiful and wonderful, to flourish, and not, not to just not to just have life, but have it abundantly. And maybe if we're attuned to the New Testament, we hear that, that Jesus said, "I came to give life and life abundantly, not just keep you breathing, but give you the divine, heavenly life here and now and forever." the next thing in your note sheets. Like Israel, the flourishing life of every person is God's gracious gift. Israel did nothing. Israel, you were just an exposed child waiting to die. And I did it all to you. There wasn't a thing you did. How could you? I came and just the word of my mouth caused you to live and caused you to flourish. And Christians, the same is true for us. Simply the word of God in Christ is enough to make us live. All we do is say, oh, I believe. That's it. There's no, there's no, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. All the verbs, I covered, I helped, I said, I passed, I did it all. You don't have to do a thing. Uh, At the end of that uh, last text, it it comes time... um, where the the king has has gone back to his his palace for a while, and he spent some time there. It's been years since he's seen the girl, and uh, and he comes back again, and he sees her, and he realizes she's she's ready. That might be a little weird for us, uh, but in the ancient world, if you were um, the child of murderers and rapists, and you were exposed to die, then you did not have any opportunities for marriage because you were damaged goods. And her only hope for any kind of life, any kind of sustenance, any kind of being sustained is if someone with power, someone who, who came, just came and just, and just rescued her. And the king passes by and he says, I will rescue you. Um, the uh, covering of nakedness in, in, probably in the previous text probably indicates um, the consummation of, of physical lovemaking. And then right afterwards, God says, I made a solemn promise you might read marriage vows. I made marriage vows and entered into a covenant with you and you became mine. You, you child of murderers and rapists, I made you mine. And when I say I make you mine, I'm making a covenant with you. The kind of covenant that doesn't end, doesn't quit, that you can't finish, you can't run away from it, you can't break it because I'm the one doing it. I'm the one making these claims and there's nothing. You have no power here. I am rescuing you whether you like it or not. And at the moment, of course, she's excited and happy, but if you keep reading, you find that she uh, eventually walks away. But the idea being that there is nothing that God won't do. He says, I'm in commitment with you. I am relentlessly committed to you. My love for you, as we sang this morning, will not fail. Um, verse 9 probably refers and it's, it is graphic uh, to the after the consummation of, of the marriage um, because she uh, was a virgin, um, that she, there's blood and, and typically um, that, that would have made her unclean and the man would have had to leave in uh, ancient Israeli uh, law, but God the king says, no, I stayed with you even in that moment and I washed you clean and I, and I, I did this, look, I, I, I rinsed off your blood I poured oil on you and if your ears are tuned to the New Testament and you remember the the cross of Christ and and you think about what God has done I mean hasn't he rinsed us with his blood and hasn't he poured oil on us to sanctify and forgive and wash us clean is not something very very similar going on where Israel's experience in history is the experience of every person who trusts God for life, God gives that life without any, just, just does it, just pushes it on us, it's not as though we're the ones that are doing anything at all I clothed you with colorful garments. I put sandals on you. I wrapped your head in linen. I covered you. I made you beautiful with jewels. I adorned you with fine jewelry and put bracelets on your wrists and a necklace around your neck. The next thing on uh, your note sheet is this. Like Israel, no person can receive holiness or forgiveness and a relentless committed love from anything but God's gracious gift. He's the one who does it. And there's nothing you can do to earn it, to take it, to seize it. All you can do is believe, and it's done. The last part of the text. I put a ring in your nose, earrings in your ears, and a beautiful crown on your head. I made you a princess. I adorned you with gold and silver, and your garments were made of the finest linen and brocade. I had to look that up because I was afraid of mispronouncing it. I don't go to Hobby Lobby a lot, so I don't know what uh, brocade is, but apparently it's uh, like a linen that has like silver and gold patterns on it. So, that's neat. And it's not brosade, That's what I was going to say. It's brocade, according to uh, Merriam-Webster. You ate the finest flour, honey, and oil. You became very beautiful, fit for royalty. Among the nations, you were famous for your beauty. It was perfect because of the splendor that I had given you. If you're attuned to the, the, the language of the New Testament. After Christ comes and after he's raised, you're attuned to the, the language of, of crowns, of glory. You remember Jesus saying, I'm going to prepare a place for you in heaven, a place filled with mansions. You remember him saying things like, great will your reward in heaven be. That that, uh, that I'm not just leaving you here. I didn't, I'm not just finished with you yet. There is a destiny that you have, and I am taking you to it. And that destiny is glorious. It's glorious beyond anything that you can possibly imagine. It is shiny and beautiful. It is everything that you were born for. It is everything that I have desired for you. And it will be yours because I declare it, not because of you. How majestic and good is God, and how powerful and loving is He, that this is how He treats His people, this is how He treats us, and asks nothing in return. In your note sheets. Like Israel, Christian rewards in heaven are perfect splendor, available only through God's free, gracious gifts. You're not earning rewards, although maybe it feels like that, but really what's happening is that God is living through you by the power of his Spirit, and as you live according to his ways and promises that is only possible by his power, when you're, when you're living that, he's storing up for you rewards. It's almost as if he's rewarding himself, because he's happy to do it, because he loves you. remember the uh the jealous fish you know where the jealous fish came from we have a we have a jealous fish in our house i was against it but i'm against a lot of things and i get overruled and that's okay love giving gifts to my kids we were at the orange county fair uh and you know we'd been losing a lot of carnival games Those, i mean just don't. It's, it's worse than Vegas. Anyway, we've lost a lot of uh, carnival games and uh, Alice is, is walking and she sees uh, a place that looks like this right here. Oh my gosh. What? All you gotta do is get that ping pong ball in the, in the, the, the glass jar and then they will give you the most beautiful, glorious beta fish that you could possibly imagine. So 20 bucks later... Um, Alice has tried and failed Olivia, I mean it wasn't even fair she's only four years old so she was basically throwing it like in the wrong direction but then I took my shot because I'm like let's be the man of the house here complete failure so then we put the pro in that's Erin she's the one who's good at uh, games of chance she lost too and so I was like on one hand I was like thank God I didn't want to take that fish home on the other hand I was like man there's going to be a tantrum that I just cannot deal with when she realizes she's walking away with no fish. So I was, I was of two minds about it, but I was like, eh, I've had a tantrum before. I know how to deal with that. All right, let's just, let's just, and so I'm walking away and like, sir, sir, here's your, here's your fish. And I'm like, mm. it's like, oh yeah, man, if you spend $5 here, you get a fish no matter what. <laughs> I was like, Phew. thanks for letting us keep playing, pal. How about three more? Am I no, just kidding? No, you keep them. Now, if you've ever uh, received a fish um, or seen someone who's received a fish at, at a fair or something like that, you know, you've seen this, this little deal here where the, he's like, oh yes, I'm going to take my fish home. I'm going to love this fish. I'm going to love this fish so much. This fish is going to be great. And you know that within 48 hours, that fish is going to end up here. <laughs> yes. True fact. Because at those carnies, they're not giving you the cream of the crop. Okay, they're they're saving those fish for somebody else. You're getting like the dead, the dying, like like failing fish. Uh, so so um, I I go downstairs and unbelievable for four months now this fish has been thriving in this little little box and I keep trying to kill it but Erin uh, keep and her mother keep feeding it and changing the water and it has these poops they're like long strings. I'm just like oh my gosh what. And the kids love it, they think it's great. Um, But I'm sitting there looking at that fish, and I'm I'm wondering, is that fish kind of mad? You know? Because his, 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 or her, we don't know. His or her life is awful. It's like you're in this size thing, and you're just going back and forth. You know, there's not even enough rocks to cover the the plastic bottom of the, the case. It's like there's like one side, and they're all red and green. And I sort of feel guilty, like maybe I should go to the pet store and, you know, do something right try and give this fish a a home. If I were that fish, man, I would be so mad. But that's because that fish can't remember where it came from. That fish doesn't remember that uh, it was a fair fish. That fish doesn't remember that fair fish are destined for the toilet bowl. That fish doesn't remember that fair fish are kind of alive, but mostly dead. That fish doesn't remember that what it has is way more than it ever could have deserved, ever could have hoped for. And that fish doesn't know that if it makes it another month for Christmas, I'm going to get in an aquarium. (laughs) And not just an aquarium, an aquascape with a floating kelp forest. Maybe even some friend beta fish, because that fish is ugly. They really chose the worst one. That fish does not know its destiny. It's forgotten all about that. It doesn't know where it's going. It's forgotten where it's been. It's just sitting there, and it has forgotten the truth about itself. And so it spends all of its days looking out, being like, When do I get mine, man? Hang in there, fish. You will. And maybe we'll even give you a name if you make it for another month. That's probably not the right picture. Let's change that picture (laughs) to the next slide. This is a song we sing. It's the last thing in your uh, note sheets. Um, Every once in a while we sing this song. And for most of it, um, uh, I mean, I like the song, but I, I love this line. If grace is an ocean, we're all sinking. We were all fair fish destined for the toilet. We were all exposed babies destined for the grave. We are broken, corrupted, failed beings. And yet, where we are in the world, if we're really honest and we look around and we know the truth, we are breathing grace every day. It's, it's the water that surrounds the fish. It is, we're, if, if grace is an ocean, we're just drowning in it. It's over our heads, and, we, and sometimes we can't see it, but it is splashing over us again and again and again. God's gift and God's love is so powerful and so complete and so endless that it just simply never quits. And if we're honest and we remember where we came from, I submit to you we won't have to worry about being grateful anymore. I, uh, I thought of three types of fish that we might be. Um, and you'll forgive me for dipping into my Pixar uh, background here, three types of fish. Um, I think that there's probably at least three types of people here, but I've, I, I've, I've thought about them in this way. I, I think that first there's the Nemo's. If you've seen Finding Nemo, you know that Nemo is the fish uh, who thinks he can do anything. He thinks he's, he thinks he's got it under control and he's, he's got the power and the ability and the capability and he can go out and, and explore the ocean. He can do whatever he needs to do. He's got it figured out, except that he doesn't re- recognize that he has a fin that doesn't work real well. He's broken. And so when he tries uh, to get out and and tries to explore, he gets caught up and lost and and crushed because he doesn't realize he's not strong enough. He's forgotten that he's a fair fish. He's not uh, much. He's not a valuable thing. And because he's never acknowledged that, he's never come to terms with that, he's not able to make the right choice. He's not able to recognize that, that he really is gifted a ridiculous amount and needs to depend on that grace and the, the gifts of, of the, the community around him. And similarly, I think there are some of us who, um, we just live in a world where we have figured it out. And we've got it under control and, and we don't need, uh, this or that or, or him or anybody else. We, we just need to go after it. What's really hard is that God's, God's truth for you, if this is, if this is you, God's truth is that you, are a fair fish. You were exposed on the side of the road to die. You are not what you think you are, and you must trust him because he is the only life you will ever truly have. Some of us, and I think, a lot of us, are probably Dorys. Dory is the fish that can't remember anything. Ellen DeGeneres, she's very funny. She, uh, in the in the, the movie, she, kind of her brain resets like every about six seconds and she forgets who she was or where she's been. And so she's very free. She can go out and do just about anything because she has no idea who she is or what she's doing. Um, but the problem for her is that because she doesn't know her origin, she doesn't remember um, who she really is or where she's really come from, she has no idea where she's going, how she's going to get there. She has no uh, hope for the future. She has no um, need of anything other than the present. And she's the kind of fish who doesn't get very grateful because she forgets uh, what there is to be grateful for. And I suggest that that's really most of us, probably. When we're confronted with it, when we're confronted with it, it's a hard truth to remember that we were fair fish, that we were the baby exposed on the side of the road. But when we acknowledge that, when we keep that before us, then suddenly we know where we're headed. We know that they're good things. The aquascape is, is coming, that we don't have to be caught up in all of this, that we have an eternal hope that doesn't depend on us. Can you imagine how grateful this place would be, and by this place I mean Orange County, if everybody had that image in their mind of this is where I came from, this is God who God has made me, and this is what God has for me, no matter what. The last, and this is the dearest to my heart, is the sharks. If you remember finding Nemo, uh, uh, his father and Dory run into some vegetarian sharks. Uh, These are sharks who have recognized the corruption of their, their, uh, their flesh, and they understand that it's evil, that they're out going after and eating other fish. And so they've reformed, and they know that they're evil, they know that they're wrong, and they want to change, and they want to be different. It reminds me of some people because of you know circumstances of life or um, you know your own past and history, maybe uh, in many cases abuse that you've experienced. You cannot get away from the fact that you're ugly and horrible and miserable, that you wish that you had died when you were in that ditch. You wish that you've been flushed down the toilet. You are the kind of person who doesn't need to be told again that you're a worm because it's the only thing you know, the only thing you can remember. And if you're that kind of person, when you hear something like this, you might just start to want to go go back to cutting and go back to hating. You might hear this and be like, you're right, I am. I'm just ugly. I'm useless. I'm pointless. There's no hope for me. There never has been. I wish that someone would just flush me down. For you, um, I encourage you to go back and read this text. Because all throughout, God is looking at this exposed baby, this fair fish, and he's saying, I love you. You're not dying on me today. You're never going to die. I'm going to make you a princess. I am going to make you royalty. I am going to set you up above everyone else. I am going to turn you into the belle of the ball. I love you. I will never stop loving you. I will do everything for you. You don't have to do a thing. You are perfect because I'm making you perfect. And all you have to do is believe. Just trust me and I'll do it. Do not think that you're still that kid. You're not. I changed you. If grace is an ocean, you're sinking in it. And I will not stop loving you. Let's pray. Gracious God and Father, I pray that um, for all of us, wherever we are, God, that we'll know our origins, even when they're hard truths about who we are, what kind of people we are, We'll recognize where we've come from and in that, that we'll cultivate gratitude, that we'll be gracious and, and grateful people knowing that you've done it all. You've rescued us. You've brought everything for us and all we've, you've asked is just for us to trust you. God, I pray that all of us will look around and recognize that we are sinking, drowning, and you're loving, never quit, Never give up covenantal love and grace. All this we ask in Jesus' name, amen.